0: Baptisms tonight, we love baptisms, don't we? So I'm going to talk fast and you're going to listen fast. We're still in our series on prayer, the divine dialogue. And I trust that we are creating some type of dialogue via social media. And whether whether Grace Covenant or whether my personal uh, social media platforms, let me encourage you, send your questions because I'm going to try to answer some of them at the beginning of the message on Wednesday nights, and some I will respond to directly via those vehicles. But let me, let me give you a couple of questions tonight that have come in this week. One, do you have to be led by God to pray for specific things for unsaved people, or can you just pray at will? For example, a believer friend was asked by her unsaved neighbor if she could pray with her on a regular basis for the restoration of her marriage. The believing friend said she'd have to think about it and seek God first before agreeing to it. Now why are you snickering? This is a real life question. Now I would personally just, I, I, I'm trying to find a sanctified response here. I really wanted to just pop somebody. I mean, here is, I mean, here is an unsaved individual coming to a believer and saying, Would you pray with me? I mean, talk about fruit dropping in your lap. Would you pray with me for the restoration of my marriage? Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, you don't need a big angel or a whole big fat apologetic. If an unbeliever comes to you and says, would you agree with me in prayer for something that is obviously biblical, which is marriage? And so the answer to that question is, let me tell you, the way we pray is not that fragile. Hello? So everybody got that? That was an easy one, I hope. Okay? Here's another one. When you pray for years... And opposition intensifies, and all you hear is silence during your prayers. And you wait and be still, and know that he's God, but there's still silence, and you keep wondering, why and what is God trying to tell me? I want to hear about how to pray over years for something that's still a big mess, maybe over decades. I'm a sprinter in prayer, and it's tough when no resolution is in sight first of all that's a great insight to have about yourself is that i'm a sprinter not a plotter and as we've already always talked about already talked about rather we always want prayer to be something that is pretty immediate in terms of its response but how many of you know that many times god himself will bring the delay Many times we think it's the devil bringing the delay, but how many of you know that there's this thing called perseverance and patience that God is working something inside of you and I? And we have to develop a different mentality many times to what this looks like. It's called a walk of faith. It's not called a sprint or a run of faith, is it? Because a walk implies a certain what? A certain pace that God has for things. And we have to develop a mentality, not just of a sprinter, but I believe of a cross-country runner, where we're waiting for the second wind or the third wind to hit us. And this is where we meet God many times, is when things have been prolonged, when things have been, quote, a mess and for a long time, the second wind, the pneuma of the Holy Ghost wants to come and meet us in these moments. Somebody say amen to that. So let's review. Again, keep your questions coming. Thank you very much. Let's review for a moment. We talked about the practice of prayer the first week. Second week, overcoming the problems of prayer. Last week, we talked about the posture of prayer. That nagging question, do I really belong here? Is this a place where God desires me to be? Do I have any right as it involves my standing With God. And I made a statement that the primary attack of the devil against the redeemed is one of their standing, their righteousness, both in and with Christ. And we looked at this understanding last week of what righteousness, positional righteousness, is. And this concept of two layers the sanctification, a work of grace, the outside things that that we are doing to cooperate with that righteousness, but the justification, that inner layer, so to speak, that even when our behavior fails, there's still this, this armor, so to speak, that nothing can penetrate. Aren't you glad of that? And that you are in a great standing with God. As a matter of fact, as it involves righteousness... You are where Jesus is tonight. Isn't that a good message right there? But tonight, I want to move on. We only have a few moments. And I want to talk about the passion of prayer. The passion of prayer. John, the sixth chapter, verses 25 through 27, contextualize this moment. This is following two miracles. The first is the feeding of the 5,000. The second, Jesus walking on water. We pick up the story in verse 25. When they found him, him being Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. Now we know that this bread Jesus describes again is who? Himself. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know, the only reason that you've got any, any passion the motivation that you have has nothing to do with me, but it's what I can do for you. And tragically, isn't this the state of many believers today is that God is is, is, is some kind of delivery system. God is some kind of Amazon Prime. He's some kind of, if I can just say it correctly, then God will deliver. Hmm. Valentine's Day. Those men, if, if you didn't, then I can't help you. It's come and gone, it's too late, and you're still in trouble. But it's not just that you bought the right flowers or you bought the right candy or you did something nice. The question is, was it out of obligation? Was it a matter of, if I don't, I'm going to hear about this? Or is it a matter of privilege? I can't figure out enough ways, enough different places in the house that I can put flowers in order to communicate something to my spouse. Hmm. Passion. Strong feeling of enthusiasm or excitement for something or about doing something. The original language implies here preoccupied or even arrested. Passion. It's one of those words that tragically has been hijacked in our modern vernacular to mean something sensual. And that is one of the definitions that comes down the pike. But the idea of of passion for something. That's disconnected from a modern vernacular of sin. What is the thing that really attracts us about men and women? Is it their knowledge? Is it their skill? Or is it their passion? You can watch a ball player. And you see him. They, and they, maybe they have remarkable athletic abilities. But it's when you see a player on the field and he's got passion. And you can tell he's playing the game, not just because he's getting paid. He's not playing the game to avoid getting hurt. He's playing it with what? Passion. A musician can play all the right notes on the page the way the composer intended. You can teach a computer to do that now. Extremely competently. But what you can't teach a computer is passion. You can't teach that computer what to do with that note. How to to slightly change the pitch or the rhythm. How How to infuse personality and passion on that page. Sometimes it's hard to quantify. But where is our passion as it involves God and the things of God? Psalm 69, 9, for the zeal for your house consumes me. Passion. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us. Passion. So what does it mean? Let me give you a few definitions tonight. Passion is what we think about and is what we meditate upon. When you get up, what are you thinking about? When you go to sleep and those last thoughts that you have that perhaps even influence your dreams, where is your passion? Psalm one hundred four thirty four says, May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. Very similar. Number two, it's what we plan for and make provision for. You know, it's amazing that we find the time and the money for that which is the priority driven by passion, don't we? Come on. We find the time. We find the money for the greens fees. We find, come on, we find the four bucks for the coffee. It's like, whoa, 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 way ho! you don't understand now. You just started, no, that is a necessity. That is, that's medicine. I need my medicine. Don't I mean you don't understand. Don't mess with that. All right. Don't go there. Netflix, football. Whatever amusement. We we find the time. We find the money for those season tickets. Somewhere. Please be quiet. We find both the time and the money for those things that we have passion about. I had a professor in college. He was my composition, music composition professor, Dr. Whatley. Dr. Whatley had a nervous condition, which made the rest of us nervous. <laughs> he taught music theory and sight screaming or sight singing was what it was for musicians and my wife had private piano lessons, whether she would she would come out shaking like Dr. Watley after. But I had somehow I wound up as a music composition major for a short period of time. It was horrible. And so each week I had to go in and lay my manuscript down and and, and we he would just begin to carve up, you know, how pathetic it truly was. And I remember going into Dr. Watley's studio and and laying my manuscript out on the grand piano there and there was nothing additional from the previous week he said what what what's going on here he said and i and i said i didn't have time there was a huge mistake (laughs) because this man broke down for me what my week looked like he said let's talk about your time And so he mapped out the whole 168 hours of a week. Every moment I was in class, he allowed me six hours a day to practice my instrument. Two hours of homework for every hour I was in class. Right. An hour for three three hours for meals, eight hours to sleep, and he still found an extra 40 hours a week. And he flung the manuscript at me and he said, don't ever come in here and say, you didn't have time again. But you know what I did have time for? Chasing a woman. Now, I didn't tell Dr. Whatley that. I didn't say chasing women. I said chasing a woman who was to be my wife. And let me help you. I found time for that. I mean, even college money, which is no money. I found money for that. Do you understand? Now, this is not something that you tell a college professor, but the reality is there was a priority that got established because the passion was not for writing bad music. The passion was for this woman. Where is your heart, your emotions? Matthew 6 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But then here's the tragedy for many of us. Number three is what I just, it's whatever. It's the tragedy of a passionless life. Whatever. I used to tell my kids, and they would, they would do that. We didn't have whatever when I was raising children. We just had kind of the, we had the body language, You know the body language, okay? It is, it's, it's sort of the nice equivalent of the raised middle finger. <laughs> now, our children, you know, they're, they're, they're holier than that, but they'll still give you the whatever. Right. You know, <laughs> Tragic. I had a great young man who was on staff with me in my, at, at, at the church that I pastored in North Carolina. Hard-working young man, clean anointed. And I brought him in and I said, love you, you're fired. And he looked at me I said, I'm firing you. Not for performance, but because you have no passion. And I cannot have anybody on my staff that doesn't have passion for God and passion for what he does. And I'm dismissing you. And in the context, and I said, what's even more tragic? I said, you're not even getting mad at me right now. I just told you you were a great employee, and I was firing you, and you don't even have enough passion to get mad about it. And then I prophesied over him. (laughs) And the prophecy was pretty simple. Basically, it was go west, young man. You'll find an IT job, and within 12 months, you will find a wife when you go to California. It all happened exactly the way that God told him it was going to happen. But it required me firing him for this lack of passion. Now, I don't know that that would have ever held up if he'd sued me. (laughs) Because it wasn't non-performance. But how many of you know that many times you can tell when someone's going through the motions? You can tell when somebody, I'm checking in, I'm clocking in, I'm getting my check. I mean, and I'm even going to do it at a high competent level. But you know what? When it's all said and done, whatever. How many Christians live their life? Whatever. I'm checking in. I'm going to church. Hey, man, I'm coming on Wednesday night. Check, check, whatever. But where's the passion that goes with it? And we can be doing all the outside stuff and it looks great. And we're fooling most of the people most of the time. But you ain't fooling God. You know what? My wife can tell when I'm going through the motions. I'll do the dishes tonight. Crash, bang, snip. I got it, baby. I love you. I'm looking at me. I'm doing these dishes. love to you baby doing these dishes and somehow she's just like would you please leave my kitchen because she realizes it's just check check i'm not doing it for her i'm just doing it because i think i should be doing it but there's nothing there's nothing of me being invested in it at that point the passion Augustine said this in his confessions. I was astonished that altogether I now loved you, but I didn't persist in enjoyment of my God. Your beauty drew me to you, but soon I was dragged away from you by my own weight. And in dismay, I plunged again into the things of this world. As though I had sensed the fragrance of the fair, but was not yet able to eat it. That's what a passionless life is like. You can smell it, but you can't eat it. And consider how much of our world today is non-participatory. Liking and commenting on the highlight reels of everyone else's lives. And we're just looking on. But it's created incredible lack of passion. And the real problem I believe about passion is not too much but too little. I'm afraid of that brother. He's, He's got too much passion. Ever heard that accusation about Christians? He's crazy. He's a holy roller. He's extreme. I'd like to see some extreme Christians. I'd like to see some extremity in me. The issue is not too little or too much. It's too little. And beyond the emotional aspects, there's this to consider. Passion creates direction. It's why it's important to have right passion because the wrong passion will lead you It just will lead you to the wrong place. But if we've got right, godly-directed passion, let me just tell you, it will be a direction for our life as well. Number four, another thing about passion is that we don't wait to be pursued. We pursue. Let me just tell you, I did some sanctified stalking where this woman's concerned. Now, I know I'm prone to get in trouble by putting wrong words together, but let me tell you, I did some sanctified stalking. I knew her schedule. I knew when she was going to be in the calf. I even got up for breakfast. Let me just tell you hang on, come on, think back, think back, you tried to arrange your schedule that you didn't have any classes before 12 o'clock, and if you ever pulled an 8 o'clock class, oh my, ah!" but she was one of the breakfast eaters. There weren't but about 15 on campus. For a number of reasons, one, everybody was still so hungover, they couldn't get out of bed at that time of day. Or secondly, breakfast was so bad, nobody could eat it. But it was was so, I would get up and meet her for breakfast. Good morning. I knew, finally, she just said, I know what you're trying to do. She said, but you look so bad, and this is so painful. Please don't do that again. She let me off the hook. It was that pathetic. But the point being made is I pursued her. Come on, ladies. Isn't that really what you want? I'm not talking about some weird, creepy guy, but I'm talking about the right one. I'm talking about the one. I want him to stalk me. Run me down. Put a ring on it. I'm not looking for some fool just to kind of pay. You want to hang out? Yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay, yeah, cool. I mean, I want him singing the blues when I'm not in his presence. I want his life to be ruined and over when I'm not in his presence. See, all the ladies just got happy. That's exactly. It's not complicated. Young men pursue that woman. Husbands pursue that wife. And God, out of both his passion and compassion, he pursued us once. While you were still sinners. When you were dead in sin, you realize that because you're dead, you have to be acted upon. You can't act. That means that something outside of being dead has to act upon that which is dead, which is what Christ did to and for you. But then the rules change. And then you pursue him. As a matter of fact, and I can't get into this tonight, there are times that God will even hide for a moment to find out if we will go find him. Oh, God, where'd you go? Come find me. Don't think he won't do it. Because he will, and he does, to find out, do you have enough passion to seek me out in this moment? Jesus didn't say, I'll come find you boys every morning. He told his disciples, come follow me. Sheep follow shepherds, John. And then lastly, the priority of prayer becomes duty and drudgery without passion. In fact, almost all of the Christian disciplines become duty without this passion. For who he is. See, a low level of prayer is simply an indication of a corresponding low level of passion. That's all it is. Oh, we can talk about things like technique, we can talk about things like the problems of prayer, but when it gets right down to it, let me tell you what, I wasn't a, I was an idiot suitor. I didn't do most of it right. And yet, What I did do right was the pursuing part. What I did do right was the passion part. That overrode all of the idiot courtship things that I did. All the admonitions to pray, the techniques, how. But it's the passion by which we do it. It provides the fuel that makes it work. Everything else is just dry duty. He appreciates the effort. Don't get me wrong. He really does. He appreciates. Thank you so hard for trying so hard and working so hard. But he never intended that it be a relationship void of passion. As a matter of fact, the second definition of passion has to do with the suffering and the death of Jesus. It's interesting. That in this English language, these words would come together like that. No greater passion, no greater love than that which Jesus has displayed for you and I. It all started with him. It's what I call preceding passion. That our passion must rightly proceed from his preceding passion for you and I. This is the passion for prayer. Right here, the same way that you bought those flowers for your wife. it wasn't just the fact that I had to do it it was it was it was February the 14th. I was obligated because the hallmark folks told me I had to. no it's because it was the privilege and it was the passion. that's what drove it. that's what makes it work. Are you with me? And if we don't get hold of this, these two things together, one, our posture, our positional righteousness with God. And secondly, the passion on the inside that is not I have to, but it's I get to. Oh, boy. Let me just tell you, you get those two things happening, prayer will erupt in your Amen. Pray with me.